Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. Happy weekend, everyone. We are here this morning. We're going to chat about front-loading savings. I was going to say retirement accounts, but we could really apply this to many different savings strategies. We're going to talk about the benefits, the reasons, and talk through the pros and cons of saving early and what we're calling front loading. And we did this show two or three years ago, we did a very similar show and I thought it was interesting and something to bring up again. And I think one of the first things, or one of the, one of the things we talked about is this is much easier said than done, but (laughs) point we can talk through some ideas and things like that. But there are people out there that are very motivated and have the ability to do this and higher income earning earlier in life and maybe information like this. Uh, One of our goals here today is just to get out information like this so people can think about it and maybe use it as a source of motivation to save early. Yeah, I think you hear hear save early all the time and we're going to try to I think we'll just talk through some of the details of it and try to put some numbers to, oh, this is why you would save early and just give some real world examples and talk about some experiences that we've had, I think, along the way. Yeah. So to get into it, I thought it would be important to start with the concept of compounding interest, because that's like the backing of this strategy, really, that the ability for portfolios to earn money over long periods of time, not guaranteed, but we the concept of compounding is really what makes this strategy the most powerful. And so I thought we should start with that and go through some examples uh, to help people understand why we talk about save early. Right. Because time is, you and I know time is, it's easier to save over a long period of time because of this phenomenon or whatever. What's the word of compounding interest? This thing that exists of compounding interest. Yeah. Magic of compounding interest. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I think just, I think we should set the stage. It is hard to do early, right? Just the way that a person's life works out is generally speaking, you are, you don't make as much money as a younger person. And as we're going to demonstrate here in a minute. The the real magic of compounding interest is that the longer you do it, the more valuable it is. But then all of a sudden you get put in the position of, oh, that's great. If I started saving when I was when I was zero, it would be it'd be really easy to do. But, but you have no but money when you're zero. <laughs> not to have any money until their, their peak earning years don't start usually until sometimes in your 30s. Obviously, it depends on your individual situation. There's plenty of 20 year olds who are who have plenty of discretionary income. I think that's we'll acknowledge up front that's going to be the case that it's hard, but we're going to try to make the case that you should do your best to do it based on the outcome for you. Okay. So just some simple examples. We've done this on the show before, but just playing around with some savings calculators, which people can find online. Literally, if you just Google savings calculator, probably a dozen of them or a million of them pop up on Google search. So just quick examples. I'm assuming that someone has no money. I have to put a dollar amount. So I put literally $1 for starting balance. 
And then I'm doing a thousand dollar per month contribution. Yep. And I'm going to do that first. First of all, I'm going to do it over five years. And I'm going to, we can okay. play around with portfolio earnings, but for now I'm going to use 7% per year. All right. Which is maybe consistent with a moderately aggressive strategy, not something overly conservative, but probably not something overly aggressive either. So if you save $1,000 per month over five years, you're putting away $60,000 of your own money. And if the portfolio can earn 7% per year, five years later, you have about $71,000. So you okay. have put away 60000 of your own dollars and your earnings were $11,000. Okay. So, Sounds okay. Okay. So what is the way to un way to help people understand how compounding is powerful is to stretch this out over longer periods of time. So if you do the same $1,000 per month over 10 years, you're of course adding more of your own money to this investment account. So now you're adding $120,000 yep. over the 10 year period of time, same $1,000 a month, but now and same 7% per year assumed earnings on the account, but now your total balance is 171,000. So the earnings from the portfolio are now $51,000. So in the price, so this is only, so this is twice as much time. We went from five years to 10 years. Yeah. So twice as much money, but the earnings are five times as much. And this, and it just gets more and more powerful from here because this is, first of all, we'll talk through this a little bit more, but larger, larger, the larger the account gets, the more it can earn in terms of dollar amounts. So that's helping with the, the further growth of the investment, but also the, this concept of compounding interest or compounding earnings is not only is uh, over time, the more time you have, not only is the money that you put in earning interest, but right. or but also then your interest is earning interest and then that interest is earning interest. So that's really what the compounding is. And so if I just go one step further, let me again, double the period of time to 20 years, right. $1,000 a month over 20 years, same 7% assumed earnings. Yep. So again, so this person is putting away $240,000, which is $1,000 a month over 20 years. But if they can earn 7% per year on average, they now have over $500,000, which means the portfolio itself in this example would have generated about $260,000, which is now, so we went from 10 years to 20 years. So twice as long, twice right. as much money, but again, it's four times as much earnings Right. In this example, of course, not guaranteed. This is just an example, but it's not all that unrealistic yeah. for someone in a certain moderate or moderately aggressive investment strategy. So this is where like the power of time and the power of compounding is pretty awesome, <laughs> I think. <Right. laughs> yeah, and yeah. I could just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we should, you should yeah. play it out a little bit because the yeah. A folks do, hopefully everyone out there listening has a, has a long investing lifespan, right? Hopefully you're investing from the time that you're in your twenties ish until, until the day that you die, which we hope is a very long time. And so I think it does make sense to pull, at least go out a few more, maybe a few more decades here, just to really illustrate the point, because if you ever look back at those, um, 
stock market charts, right? You have to change mm-hmm. scale of the chart, right? If you're looking at a chart from in 26, back when we started to have good investing data, the chart gets so out of whack with regard to the compounding earnings that you have to actually change the scale of the chart because it would just wow. look like it's going, eventually it would look like it's going straight up, right? So over um, long periods of time, it's really powerful. And so I think you should, yeah, let's do a few more decades going. just to really illustrate the point. I know I mean, we're beating it to death here a bit, but some folks who are if you're going to be starting saving when you're 25 and retire at 65, that's 40 years. Right. So we should, let's keep going. So double it again. So go from yep. 20 years to 40. Sure. Okay. So when we went from five years to 10 years, yep. our earnings went from $11,000 to $50,000. Yep. We went from 10 years to 20 years. Earnings went from $50,000 to $267,000. If we go from 20 years to 40 years, we'll double it again. Same $1,000 a month, same assumed 7% per year earning. This person puts away $480,000 of their own dollars, which is a lot of money, of course, over 40 years. Interest earned almost $2 million in this example. Yeah, that's incredible. So, So future balance is so this person put away 480,000 total ba- account balance at the end of the 40 year period of time 2,471,000. So the interest it's just it's compounding it, it's so it's five times as much as you put in at the end five of the times 40 as year much. period. Yeah. yeah. So going from so doubling the period of time from 20 to 40 years the earnings again about quadrupled. Yep. It was 200 and no mo- I'm sorry more than that. It's a multiple yeah. of eight. We had to about 250,000 of earnings over 20 years. This is right. almost 2 million of earnings over 40 years, which is about eight times as much. So that's, yep. it's incredible to play around with these numbers. I also wanted to talk a little bit, use this opportunity to talk a little bit about risk and earnings potential, because the earnings assumption that we're plugging in here is an important variable. Right. If we go back and we do this for someone who's a more conservative investor earlier in life, and I don't know that there's a lot of conservative investors right now that are on the young side, and yeah. I pulled some articles and we can talk about that a little bit, but let's say someone is starting earlier in life and saving $1,000, and if they're going to do it over five years, and they're not comfortable with a an aggressive or a moderately aggressive investment strategy, let's say they're doing something more conservative like CDs or a conservative investment strategy and they're only earning 4% per year. This is going to change the math quite a bit. Right. Oh yeah. Five years at a thousand a month. Again, they put away 60,000. Their earnings are now at 4% per year, only $6,000 instead of 11,000 in our first example. Double that, we go out 10 years, 4% per year thousand dollars a month they put away 120,000 now their earnings are about $26,000 not over 50,000 like we saw right. in the first example if we go out 40 years let me just skip ahead a little bit the person saving a thousand dollars a month who was taking some risk with their investment strategy and could earn seven percent per year had what was a two and a half million yeah over 40 years someone investing a thousand a month over 40 years puts away the same $480,000. But if they're only earning 4% per year over 40 years, which is a conservative investment strategy, it's $1.16 million. So pretty big, di- a difference of almost a yeah. million dollars 
40 years later, I guess we could talk about present value and how the difference isn't really that much, but right. there, there is a difference even if we factor out inflation. So yeah, I, I mean, did, go ahead. Yeah, just, just to be clear. So if you, these are not talking about, we're not talking about real returns, right? So in returns over and above inflation, we're talking about nominal returns, which is just, oh, I earned 7%. And if, if, it's, if we just use the example of 2020, to, right, if you had a portfolio and if you did good for you that earned six and a half percent last year, your real return was zero because inflation for 2022 was six and a half percent. We're talking about just nominal returns and the actual dollars that you'll have in your portfolio, which is not factoring in purchasing power changes. But the the numbers they don't look as they don't look as impressive, right? I think we as an industry will use this as a teaching tool because we say, wow, look how much money you'd have, right? If you save a thousand dollars a month for 40 years. And earn seven percent, you can you'll have two and a half million dollars. It's fantastic. If you use real returns, it's it the numbers don't look as impressive, but they actually are when when you compare them to bank accounts, right? So if you're earning a very low rate of return, say you're in something short term or, or banks and CDs, you're probably not really earning anything over and above inflation. You may generally speaking, very short term investments are very close to the inflation rate or maybe just a bit above it. And so you're almost earning nothing when you're conservative. And even if you fact even if your real return is only three or four percent, that's still a lot more than <laughs> a lot more than zero. It still works and it's still it, it's still an argument for Generally speaking, if you can afford, I guess not, well, financially afford and psychologically afford the, the volatility and the risk that comes along with being a bit more aggressive with your investment, you, it, it still does make sense to do that, especially as a younger person. I did a little bit of, I tried to do a little bit of reading before the show regarding, in, to try to find statistics regarding g- which generations are comfortable slash uncomfortable with investment risk, because I, articles over the years, I yeah. feel like I've read... I can remember five or eight or maybe like even 10 years ago, reading articles about how millennials, for example, who of course 10 years ago were were 10 years younger than they are now, but that millennials were very uncomfortable with market risk. Yep. And if you think through that, it's okay. Millennials were what? 30 to 45 or something like that 10 years ago, like coming out of the credit crisis where we had really awful markets. So millennials right now are what, 40 to 55 or something like that. So 10 years ago, if millennials are like in the 30 to 45 age range and they see at a young age, a really awful stock market that lasted a long time, that took a long time to recover from, that sort of led them to be as a generation conservative with their investment strategies coming out of that. And I can remember reading articles about that five and five to 10 years ago, but it's interesting how with time and changes in the market, that all changes. Because when I was doing some reading the last couple of days (laughs) about millennials and their comfort level with risk and reading through some studies, it was the total opposite. And now it's millennials are very, Gen Z is very comfortable with risk. Gen millennials, Gen X are fairly comfortable with risk in investment strategies. In fact, it was something like one study said something like 45% of millennials have own cryptocurrency, which is the <laughs> most volatile and <laughs> aggressive yeah. investment you can own. <laughs> and so it's just interesting how, how that changes. And you and I know risk tolerance for risk, comfort level with risk changes yep. with age number one in, situ- in life situation, but also just totally changes with markets. 
an experience. Yeah, an experience. An yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, right, experience comes from what's happening in the markets, large. And the last coming out of the credit crisis, right after that, a lot of people would have described themselves as conservative investors because they didn't want to go through a market like we had in 08. They didn't want to go through that again. No, Nobody wants to go through that with that has any sort of money in an investment strategy. But then the, the 10 years we had pretty much after that, or almost 13 years, actually, like leading up to 2022, we had pretty great markets, like great stock markets and right. not a lot of scary times other than early in 2020 when we had a scary time, but a lot of investors didn't even know because if they weren't checking their balances Every day, yeah. like a month went by and that market was so short and recovered, was recovered from within a couple months, few months, if people weren't checking their balances very frequently, which is a good thing, in my opinion, to not check frequently. They didn't even really notice that there was a bad market early in 2020. And so yeah. it's just interesting now that in the reading I'm doing, it's people, younger generations in particular, are very comfortable with investment risk, maybe like overly, yeah. but I don't think we're seeing <laughs> Well, that could of... change too, right? Yeah. I mean, we may be reading similar articles a year from now if the markets get worse, right? Yeah. I don't think it's not a, it's not a surprise to see that we know that individually people's right attitudes will change with the markets. And so it just makes sense that the collective would be the same way. Yeah. And I think it's when we talk about average, when we were doing these calculations to Illustrate compounding interest. I was using 7% per year. I think a, a younger investor who's comfortable with risk, and hopefully many of them are comfortable with risk for retirement money anyway. If they might be, if you're very aggressive early in life in your 20s, 30s, and even 40s, perhaps you can likely out earn 7% per year. But if we're illustrating over a 40 year period of time, you might have higher earnings earlier in your earlier year, your younger years. And then as you approach retirement, many investors, many financial advisors might recommend, okay, lowering risk as you get closer to retirement, thus like at, on the tail end, right? Returns might be lower than 7% per year. So it's just, I think 7% is a good average over a 40 year period of time anyway, for someone like 25 to 65, sure. higher returns on the front end, lower returns on the back end. And to be clear, and I think we have to have this conversation a lot is, you know, everything's going to be relative, right? There, there'll be some folks who, you know, maybe if you were born in the 60s or 70s, your number may have been, or if you started investing in the 60s or 70s, maybe your number was 10% per year or even potentially higher, right? Because you have these great markets. And who knows, maybe if you start right now, the number will only be five or six. But the relativity is always probably more than likely always going to hold up for being aggressive versus conservative. It's There's probably not a whole lot of realistic projections that say, oh, the stock market's going to earn a 6% and so is a portfolio of cash. Is There's still going to be a relativity mm -hmm. that you, as a young person who can afford to take on financial risk, you'll more than likely get paid for it. Will you get the 7% that you know that you heard the lady talking on the radio about? I don't know. It could be higher, could be lower, but still probably worth it to at least shoot for higher returns when you're younger and can afford to. Yeah. And some of the reading I was doing about risk and generations, it was it was interesting and that like young generations, like Gen Z, for example, which I guess is, I don't know what, what Gen Z is like, what, 20 to 30 right now, something like that. They're, yeah, it sounds like, yeah. Does that sound right? They're very, the most comfortable with risk. In fact, there, there was some, this one survey did some digging in terms of exact composition of investment portfolios. And like for older generations, composition was largely mutual funds, ETFs, cash, even CDs for some of their monies. But with like 
millennials and Gen Z, it was cryptocurrency, individual <laughs> stocks. It was yeah, like yeah. very little exposure to mutual funds. Even ETFs were, that was like low in terms of oh, the really? exposure. It was lower than individual stocks for Gen Z and cryptocurrency. Yep. And I forget, and I think it was even lower than real estate for some of the younger generations. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the is, individual stock seems, I guess it's so cheap to buy an individual stock now. And also if you're, it's less risky if you're in a, if you're a Robinhood account and you're investing $2,000 total in, in 10 stocks, it's, that wasn't really a thing when yeah, we were growing up. But. There's a, there's a platform now to do it, a yeah. very easy platform that yeah. the younger generations can use to easily trade stocks where generations ago it was, you got to call your broker. Call Mike McNamara. <laughs> you know, look at the paper to like find share prices and call your brokers. So it's like a very cumbersome process, but that does make sense that it's more. And like we just talked about, it's yeah. been pretty easy to make money in stocks the last 10 to 12 years. So that those younger generations have grown up in their young adulthood in a period of time where it's been like no no, no sweat, like making 10, 15, 20% on some of their stock investments. I don't, I don't think it will always be that easy. And hopefully they don't learn that the hard way. And hopefully they can learn and respect the value of diversification. But anyway, it's younger generations are definitely comfortable with risk and hopefully that pays off in the long term. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a break. We're going to get in. I want to get into translating a little bit more about front loading your portfolio and translating we talk a lot about rates of return in our world. I want to talk about dollars and really, which I think makes it more real when you talk actual dollars versus percentages in terms of rates of return. But we'll explain that after the break. We're talking about front loading your retirement savings or your savings or the benefits of saving early is really what we're talking about today. Easier said than done. And we acknowledge that, but I think the information is helpful and perhaps will serve as a source of motivation for people. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara, today. We are just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Here's what people want to know about me. Are you a fiduciary? Are you independent? And thus are your recommendations for me in my best interest? Are your costs reasonable? Can you help me with my money and making a plan for my future? Fortunately, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Call my office to find out more. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning again. Good morning. And we've been talking about saving early, the importance of doing it, the opportunities that it might present later in life, financial security, et cetera. And really what we were talking, what we were calling it is front loading your retirement and how cool it can be if hard to do, but how cool it can be to save early, to save significant amounts early in life and sort of the benefits of so. <clears throat> all right. We last 25 minutes or so to touch on this. And I know that you said you built a model that we can talk through using our retirement modeling software. So do you want to? Yeah, let me set stage? the stage here. Yeah, and I think the I think the point I want to make in this particular segment is you can be on track for a quote unquote normal retirement, but at the same time, be way behind when it comes to an early retirement. Again, I know we touched earlier in the show on the folks who some people just really don't want to work because they want to get out of the get out of the workforce as soon as they can it's not everybody and one of those people who really enjoys your job that's fantastic it always makes things easier but there are we regularly hear from folks whether they're in their generally it's folks who are in their 40s or 50s 
and they say, oh man, I really would like to get out of the workforce by age 60. Some of that is they're in stressful jobs. Others, it's I want to enjoy my life because I'm grappling with grappling with my mortality. Yeah. Uh, and so we think I've I think just in the last six months, I've probably had that same discussion with at least three or four different couples of, oh, hey, I'd like to retire at age 60 or 62. And then we have to go through the exercise and see how feasible it is. Yeah. And so I just wanted to set up this particular scenario. But again, this is, we're just trying to be as generic as I can. I put a couple of folks in, I just put in Bob and Sue here and they're age 62 right now. Yeah. They each make $150,000 a year. And they have good social security benefits because we'll assume that they've been contributing to social security for a long time. So I won't, I won't get into all the specifics, but they'll have a good social security benefit. They have a good income now. Mm -hmm. Just said, let's have them. They need $10,000 per month to live their lives. So okay. it's, I don't know if it's a standard retirement, but yeah. it's not something uncommon that, that we'll run into on a regular basis here in our business. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And then they have, they have a million dollars saved. They're going to invest in a balanced portfolio. And they, they've been adding, let's just say $50,000 a year. We, I won't worry about whether it's in a 401k and on the tax nature, I just said a simplified portfolio. Okay. They have a million dollars and they've been adding $50,000 per year, right? So yeah. in that case, right? So I, at the end of our plans, we run our Monte Carlos and we say, oh, this is how feasible it is for you to retire. That doesn't really work very well for Bob and Sue to retire at age 62, and live to age 90, right? That's a 28 year retirement. And even if they take social security, whenever they retire, right? If they take it, if they retire early and take it at 62, they have a lower benefit versus, mm -hmm. versus waiting. There's obviously different options, but I just did a, a simplified version of it where, okay, they're going to retire at 62. They're going to take their social securities and they're going to rely on their portfolio nest egg in order to fund the rest of their retirement. In this case, I actually probably, why don't I just grab the, the specifics because I can well, yeah, well, while you're talking about that, this is if someone, if they're able to save $50,000 a year now, and they have, I shouldn't say only, but they have a million dollars, which is a lot of money. But if someone's able to save $50,000 now and only has a million, then they probably weren't, then, then they're an example of someone who was saving like less than that. Right now they're right. saving what 15% of their income, but they probably weren't able to do that or and or they were making less money earlier in life, which it's normal. Yeah. But if they were working another five years, for example, and we're saving $50,000 a year for the next five years, and then they're saving another quarter million dollars, that's 25% of what they have now. That's a huge amount that they would be adding to it in the coming right? year. Yeah. And so let, and I guess, you know, I wanted to start what I think it's easier to Maybe I'll run the maybe I'll run the the, sta the standard retirement right. So if I have them retire at age sixty seven, right, and I run my Monte mm. Carlo simulation, I'll run a fresh one here. I ran it last night, but I'll run a Monte Carlo simulation, and then and essentially that gives you your odds of success, right? So when I ran it last night, their odds of success were up in the ninety per the nineties as far as percentile, right? Because you, you mean, like you just mentioned, they have a million dollars, they're going to be working. For five more years, adding to their pot for another five years. So they added another quarter million dollars. And also they have all that interest that they've already earned. That's making money. And so they end up with a fairly substantial size nest egg. 
and their odds of success end up being about 95%. If you're in that yeah. scenario, if you're 62, you have a million dollars and you're continuing to save and you don't mind working until 67, we would call for a lot of folks that's, you're in pretty good. And hardly... a great, great ability to save right now, because yeah. like we talked about earlier in the show, their kids are probably financially independent. If they had kids, they just, maybe their mortgage is small and they've refied. All that stuff is working for them and they have a great ability to save. Plus, like you mentioned, ability to delay social security and get the higher benefit if they do work that five more years. So that's, that's another, right. can be another big swing. Yeah. And again, they needed, actually, I didn't actually, I should have gone back and seen what the, what the required portfolio distribution was at the time. And maybe I will actually just do that real quick. Okay. Uh, but, and again, that's a good retirement plan, right? You're, it's hardly the end of the world. You meet with us. We maybe you wanted to retire at 65, but we said 70 is a more realistic number for you. Again, not the end of the world. And I think a lot of folks, a lot of folks would be happy with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but when I change the numbers, or I guess, I, I guess the major point is when I change the number to 62, there's essentially zero chance that they can retire. So they're 95% retirement success odds at age 67. If you backdate their retirement date, just to age 62, again, five years maybe doesn't sound like all that much time, but you essentially have no chance of being able to retire. I think the numbers were under 15% success odds, which essentially just means you need fantastic investment markets. Yeah. You're, you retire at 62, and in this particular case, they needed to take about $70,000 per year out of their million in order to sustain their lifestyle, mm -hmm. it's just not sustainable. Hinging on life expectancy assumptions. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah we, we, yeah, we yeah. have to do an all else being equal thing here. But right, if they're if your life expectancy is unknown and or you're going to yeah. be conservative with it, it's just early retirement is difficult to do because you have such a if you're anticipating a longer life, that's a long time to be drawing on an investment portfolio. And it just means you can take less out of it. All else being equal, yeah. you have to take less out of your portfolio in order to make it last longer. Yeah. Um and so I just think that's a real I think that's a bit eye-opening where you can yeah. be on a great track for retirement according to a lot of folks' opinions. But if you if these folks change their mind, if this particular couple is 58 and they change their minds and they don't want to work, <laughs> they don't want to work another 10 years, they want to work another four years, then all of a sudden they're not even close to being able to retire and probably don't have the ability to make it up without some drastic cuts to their, to their, to whatever their, whatever they want to cut. Whatever right? their lifestyle is. Yeah, yeah. Whatever their lifestyle expenses right. are or, yeah, or cuts to when they want to retire in that case, increasing how long they have to work. Yeah. Having said that, if Bob and Sue had earlier in life been able to save more, maybe they were saving that 10% per year of their paycheck. Maybe if yep. they were selling, saving 12 or 15%, for example, and they came in and they were doing, you were doing a model for them and they had 1.4 million instead of 1 million, then the, the outcome would likely be very different. So this yep. is what we're talking about. That's sort of the whole point of the show is yes, it can be difficult, but if you're able to save harder earlier, it just can open up opportunities, not guaranteed, but like might, might be able to open up opportunities later in life, i.e. retiring earlier or something else comes up in your life and you can't save as hard later. And if you've already accumulated a lot, maybe that's okay. And so it just, this is the whole thing about it can provide you a little bit more in the way of financial security, but also opportunity later on. Almost everyone wants to retire early. Right. That's true. Yeah. So it's like a very, I can think of some people, but it's just been the trend that, that while life expectancies increase, 
retirement ages, or at least desired retirement ages, is it decrease? The ages are getting younger in terms of when yeah. people envision or want to retire. Um, yeah. And then it, op- it also opens up this whole nother scenario of or whole nother discussion surrounding healthcare. Because for people that retire before medic being eligible for Medicare, which is 65, healthcare can be a huge expense. And if you want to retire at 60 and you've got five years to pay some sizable healthcare expenses out of pocket, and you're taking the lower social security or you're delaying social security and taking a lot from your portfolio in that period of time, that's just a whole nother variable. Healthcare can be very expensive for people if they retire before, if they're not, if they're not covered via an employer before 65. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I and just while you were chatting there, I did adjust the numbers, right? So if I went back and I gave our couple Bob and Sue a million and a half dollars mm-hmm. as their million, right? So in, in the scenario where they really where they saved a bunch of money young, you know, at earlier ages, it did bump them up to it to essentially a 95% success rate, which is you know the, the equivalent of working in this case another five years. Wow. I mean, obviously we knew that would happen. The more money you have, the easier, the earlier you can retire, but it's just putting some numbers to it, right? You need a pretty substantial nest egg to retire early if that's one of the things that you want on the table. And so if that's yeah. you personally, then starting earlier is, is certainly the easier way to get there. Not that it's not that it's easy. No, but like to add a little bit of color to that, what does it take to accumulate another half a million dollars, for example? Right. I just do, okay, let's rewind 30 years and let's say they were thinking about this. Not a yeah. lot of 30 year olds think about this, but let's say they were 32 and they were thinking about this. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to retire on the younger side and enjoy whatever right. together then accumulate half a million dollars over a 30 year period of time. If we again, assume 7% interest rate, uh, it's about $440 per month. Okay. So an extra $440 per month, an extra $440 per month, in addition to what they were already doing. Which I didn't do that calculation, but that's 5,000 bucks a year, 6,000 bucks a year. And of your own money, that's another 160,000 of your own money, but over a 30 year period of time with compounding earnings, et cetera, that we talked about earlier in the show. In this example, anyway, not guaranteed, that could be a sizable amount of money and make a big difference in terms of when you're able to pull off retirement. Yeah. I love that you did that example. Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty topical. I think I don't know. If, I don't know if it's if it's COVID related, but I feel like I've had the early retirement discussion more in the past year or so than I've had in quite a while. Oh. I don't know if people are just trying to live for today or what, but may, or it could just be coincidental. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's been a longer term trend of retirement. People wanting to retire a little bit younger, but no, I think there's something to it. People work life balance is more top of mind now than ever as a result of COVID. And yeah, I think that's probably related. Yeah. And I'd also like to get just, I think we could talk a bit about where we go with, there's different places to save, right? So if you, if we're just talking about retirement so far, right. But mm-hmm. in other goals, right. There's a lot of folks that we work with will have kind of the dual goal of, oh, I want to retire, but I also want to fund my college. And I think, I don't know what, I don't know if I can simplify it, but I think we would probably argue for saving more in your retirement. I think it's, it probably just comes down to, relatively speaking, it comes down to a a simple math problem where your retirement portfolio probably earns more than your than your college portfolio just based on how most folks invest for college versus right. retirement. Are you okay with that as a Yeah, I'm okay with that. Rule? Yeah, I'm okay with that. A lot of people aren't saving like hard for college until their kids are like within 10 years, probably. So that your investment strategy is a little bit more conservative, most likely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you get a, if you get a good start on retirement, it will certainly relieve the pressure later on. And whether that pressure is the pressure of saving. So I have to save, I have more money to save for retirement Mm. and got started really early in life. And Hey, my, my 401k balance is looking fantastic. And when I run my projections, everything looks hunky dory. And so I don't need to play catch up in a way that a lot of other folks might. And it gives me more more free cash flow to save for college in my 529. Or maybe, frankly, it just it frees up my cash flow to, act, to try to pay cash for college. If we're yeah. talking about Bob and Sue in our last example, and, and they have an extra $50,000 a year, w- which they could invest, right? Or they could use to pay for college. If you're way ahead of the game, as far as retirement goes, it makes those decisions easier with regard to how, how you deploy your capital. It it relieves the stress on a family of saying, all right, like we could just drop our savings down and have our kids come out of the, come out of school with less, with less school loans versus if you didn't, (laughs) if you didn't front load your, you may not be able to make that decision and end up in a stressful situation for you or your kids or both. Yeah. I've actually had some real life examples of people that have kids, middle school, high school ish age, had haven't done a lot in the way of saving for college, but had done very well saving for retirement. And yeah. we had those conversations about you have sizable balances here. You can, you don't need to, maybe you don't have the pressure of putting 15 or 20% or maxing your 401k because you have done so well accumulating money for retirement. So let's cut that back a little. And then, like you just said, having the cash flow to pay for other things like college in these couple of examples was like, it was very comforting. It's also, I don't know if this, I was just thinking that call it approaching affordability of college this way. It's almost like it's more clear. Like if someone is, it's when you do, when we do affordability calculations for college yeah, and someone's, I want to send my kid, let's say we're planning 15 years out. And you have no yeah. idea what your kid is going to be like, want, excel at when they're so young and doing affordability calculations or doing calculations to determine how much do I need to save in order to hit these college goals. It's a daunting, right? they're daunting numbers. You there, And a lot of times you're doing this with young couples that maybe just bought a house and maybe not have a ton of cash flow. So I feel like I, I do feel younger parents planning long-term for college. I think it's a hard, it's hard for a lot of people to do unless they're very high income earners and just like ability to save is not an issue. Right. But I guess where I'm going with that is then for the, for if the pressure is off in terms of saving for retirement, by the time your kids are like in high school, for example, then it com- it becomes more clear, like your ability to afford X tuition just becomes more clear because it's based on your cash flow. Yep. Does that yep. make sense? I don't know. I feel like it's just a in my mind because there may be two separate goals, and you if you can handle one, right. handle the retirement goal, <laughs> yeah. and where yeah. then it's like okay, this is what we're working with here. It's very simple. The calculations are simple. Yeah. Sometimes people want to go be, because it's this is what I can afford for you, son or daughter or both or whatever, because this is my free cash. Right. And this is what I can afford for tuition. Some people in some instances might want to go a step further. Like I've had examples where they have X amount of free cash and this is what we're using for college. And they're already pretty good for retirement. So we're not super worried there. Maybe we're just putting like a small contribution in to get the employer match or something like that. Yeah. But free cash and then maybe a step further. Okay. What if we took out a home equity line for X, Y, Z, and then our ability to pay that off. And you can layer on top of that. But I just feel like the planning for that goal becomes easier if you've already like achieved or you're on a very, very good pace 
for the retirement goal via planning early and saving early for that. Yeah. I don't know. Does I think, that make sense? I feel like that makes sense in my mind. It does. And it's also, it becomes a, right. That, that sort of simplicity comes into play a lot of times if you have, if you have one spouse who has chosen to stay home and put their career on hold to raise kids. And a lot of times mm-hmm. I'll hear, yeah, our plan for college is the spouse is going to go back to work full time and we'll have an extra X thousands of dollars and we're going to use that to pay for college. So it does, yep. it certainly makes it easy. And I think it, it's the goal of saving for college is unique in that you, you don't have any idea how much it's going to cost and, or if it'll even happen. I think it, for the vast yeah. majority of kids, I think they, some higher education spending is going to be, is in the cards, but right, whether or not you're a doctor and you're going to spend a half a million dollars on your education, or you're going to go to a trade school and it's going to cost you 25. There's such a huge range of a potential college costs, even within a family of you could go to a, a state school or the most expensive private school with, with no financial aid. Those numbers are way apart as well. And it just, it's quite, college is difficult to pay for, to plan for. To plan for, yeah. And then there's like the third, the other one is, well, and how much of it are you, what percentage mm. is it, are you going to pay Mr. and Mrs. Client? And here you go, decide in advance, right? 15 years before it happens right. and, and before you know your financial situation. So I know there's just a lot of complexity that comes along with it. And I think that's probably why it gets put off on fairly often because it's just a difficult, well, I, I don't know how to save for college. I don't know how much it's going to cost. I don't know, yeah. you know how much I'm going to pay for, yada, yada, yada. So at least with I, retirement planning, you're funding it yourself. Other, than, it yourself. <laughs> other than yeah. if you have some social security, and, you <laughs> right. know, but you already paid yeah, it. It's yeah. more predictable. You might not, yeah. when you're 35, you may not be able to predict your lifestyle when you retire, but you know, you're going to have, you'll have to meet some basic minimum of living expenses. Whereas with college, I think it's, yeah. it's more all over the map but anyway so I'm yeah you. yeah if you can get retirement out of the way or close to it or just get way ahead of the game yeah it just gives you more flexibility later on to say all right well, this is my college plan i'm gonna use as much cash flow as i have and if i have to stop my 401k contributions that's maybe okay because i have so much interest in earning interest on itself that i'm in good shape yeah we have to quickly i mean we've only got maybe five minutes left but we have to quickly throw in the idea of sabbaticals okay because this is pretty common in from what I read and from real life experience, I, I guess maybe when you were just talking, I was thinking more like this overarching theme here, we're talking about front-loading retirement and the opportunities it can open up, et cetera. What sort of overarching theme is financial security via working hard to save and doing that earlier in life. And the, some people, I had a show not long ago with Peter Mullen, and we were talking about people's relationships with money. Okay. And he was the clients that we work with don't and necessarily. Just sorry, the, he's uh... a, uh, he's with the American Consumer Credit Counseling right. Organization. Yeah. He's been on the show a bunch of times and he's I just I know him from around town and he helps with the money fair and all that stuff. And he was he does credit counseling and he meets people of all different of different networks, but he's meeting people that have financial struggles too. And anyway, he was talking about how some people have just a bad relationship with and it might come from their background or they didn't have any life was hard and all that stuff and they hate money and, and it's it was just kind of interesting because we don't really see that. I don't really meet anyone that has a hatred for money. We're working with a different set of people that have money or at least have an ability to save money. Why did I start going off on that tangent, Justin? You were um, talking about sabbaticals somehow. I was talking I don't know about where... sabbaticals and oh, the, this overarching theme of, of how money does actually, I think for many people provide like security and having right. a healthy relationship of, with money. Obviously, I think is a good thing and respecting the fact that for many people anyway, it doesn't buy happiness. We all know that, but yeah. it can certainly make life easier and comfortable and it can provide security, like literally in so many ways. 
And I don't know, it dawned on me that that's like the more overarching theme of the discussion today. We're specifically talking about the security and the opportunities that can open up for retirement and early retirement and all that stuff. But also this idea of, or what some people do these days is take sabbaticals, take six months off, take 12 months off and travel the world or just have a chill for a while and have a mental break. Or maybe they're in a stressful career and they want to do something different. And people don't really, you don't have you might not be able to comfortably do that, or you might not have opportunities yeah. to do that if you haven't, first of all, obviously positioned so that you have money that you can draw from to support you in that period of time, but also have positioned yourself such that you can still hit longer term goals like retirement if you're taking a year or so off and you don't know what your next employer is going to offer for a match and all that stuff or what your earnings will be in your next role. So it's the people that can do that and do it well and really afford to do it, in my opinion, are the ones that have really positioned themselves well early in life and have those opportunities. Yeah, Um, that's, yeah, again, that's the kind of thing that if that's something that you think you might want to do, then you really need to get started early. It's not, that's all, that's, I don't, we don't have a lot of folks who do that, I don't think, but you really have to be in a pretty great financial spot. Yeah. I have several that have done that Yeah, and are planning on it, but there's also, we could probably do a whole, almost a whole show on that, but there's also planning with regard to like how money is saved. Cause it's not as easy as just put everything in my 401k because you need money to draw from. That's not in a 401k if you're like 35 and taking a sabbatical. So that's right. Although if you're, and if you're saving player. that much money, then you probably have capped up your 401k anyway. Yeah. Right. In, in, in order to really get a, get that much money you generally are maxing out although that's not true i guess if you have two spouses and they're both saving the max for an awfully long time you probably can save a bunch of money in a 401k yeah and you gotta start talking about 72t (laughs) we'll save that for another show when we do when we talk about sabbaticals let's do a sabbatical show we've never done that i'll put that on the schedule all right we are just about out of time i will give out the information for our podcast if you ever miss any of our shows or want to check out past shows you can check your podcast app for we McNamara. Good, we good uh, artwork, good podcast um, artwork. We do? Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Oh, our, yeah, our little logo that pops up and uh, oh, it's yeah. on my Spotify and it looks good. It looks very professional. Awesome. Check out McNamara on Money on your podcast app. And so you've been listening to McNamara on Money. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com. Joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. You can find out more about him at McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We might work together, but usually in different locations. Happy weekend, everybody. That was a great show. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.